Hey friends, welcome to the Cultivate Hope podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Robinson, and I want to invite you to come alongside me as we hear stories, gain wisdom, and even some helpful tools from some of my friends. These are people who have experienced challenging seasons of life that have tested their faith. We can all learn from those who've dug those deep trenches and have found their way to the other side of hopelessness. So let's start digging together and cultivate hope. Welcome to season two of Cultivate Hope, where we are intentionally seeking out hope in the midst of everyday struggles that come with living in a world where things are simply not as they should be. I'm so excited to introduce you guys to our guest today. I've known him since he was 16 years old, back when we worked together at Skyline Chili here in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've kept in touch throughout the years as life has taken some twists and turns. Such a turn, in fact, that my friend Robbie found himself in the midst of a prison cell searching for hope. Quick warning, this episode does contain drug and alcohol references, so if that's a tender spot for you, I ask that you steward your heart wisely, as well as maybe saving this episode for later if you have little ears around. I wanted to have him here today to share his story and his perspective from a physical place that many of us will never experience in our lifetime. However, every one of us has battled with or will find ourselves in the midst of a mental, emotional, or spiritual prison at some point, whether that stems from an external factor or from something that we create ourselves. Robbie is going to share with us how we can also turn our rock bottom into a firm foundation that can very well become a launching pad. So without further delay, please welcome my dear friend, Robbie Neal, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yes, we go back to to way back then. To yes. when I was in high school, so it was uh, Truly. back in the day. How old were you when you started working at Skyline? I, I worked. At, were you 16? Yeah, I started when I was. It was my first job after Kings Island. Okay. And so, like, I, I got hired at Kings Island when I was 15 and a half. So it was like right, like when I turned 16. Cool. Um, so probably what 95. So like, uh, I don't know what's that. I was 16 oh something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. 2011. So, so yeah. So if y'all don't know, I worked at Skyline. If you're not from Cincinnati, if you are from Cincinnati, um, I hope you've heard of Skyline chili. It's kind of our thing. No, it's not a Texas chili. It is a Greek chili. It's more like a sauce. We call it a sauce. It's awesome. So, if you haven't tried it, you need to try it. Go to your local Kroger or wherever you go to shop for food and grab yourself a can. And yes, it looks weird, but don't knock until you try it. We worked there together. I had been there, man. I think when you came, I was pregnant with my daughter, wasn't I? Were yeah, yeah, or my son. It was my son or my daughter. I think it was my son. Um, and so I was headed out. I was there for like I think a, a year or two with Robbie, and mm-hmm. then as he was a young guy, just mm-hmm. kind of getting into life and discovering all the things life has to offer. We actually had a mutual friend there, beautiful, the beautiful Liz. Liz, who, uh, yes, Liz. And she, uh, sadly passed away from cancer a couple years back, but we love her dearly. And so that's one thing that bonds us for yes, sure. Always. Um, we always reach out to each other when it's her anniversary. So yeah. So I'm excited to have Robbie here. I'm so excited because it's been years and years. I actually have not talked to him in person since then. Yeah. So it's been a minute. Um, <clears throat> but I'm excited to hear your story. This is the first time I'm going to hear his story in full, but Robbie, 
since I left Skyline and you moved on and went to college and, you know, moved on with your life. Kind of tell us where, where your story went. So, you know, as a kid in Mason growing up, there was not much to do, right? Um, yeah. Movie theater here and there, you, you do some things, but there wasn't really like, I was in sports and stuff. So like I, I had activities, but when I wasn't doing those activities, it was like work or school, but like there wasn't stuff to go do. Like parks weren't fun. We grew up with Kings Island. So like that wasn't attractive anymore when we were in high school. And so, you know, coming to Skyline, I had already had this knowledge of like, um, with my older siblings and um, or my friend's older siblings, um, like smoking weed and doing all that stuff. And so um, <clears throat> at Skyline, when I was 16, I was doing that stuff. Um, when when you ended up leaving, I went on to go to OU, to college in Athens and uh, followed some friends there, wanted to play hockey there, uh, ended up getting injured my first uh, season. Um, well, during tryouts, I, I made the team. Yeah. Ended up tearing my labor and fracturing my shoulder and getting like my sixth or seventh concussion. So uh, yeah, I, I had to hang up the skates, unfortunately, uh, which, which destroyed me. You know, that was my life. I was born, my older brother's 15 years older than me. So I was born with a hockey stick in my crib. Um, so that <laughs> was the entire, like my entire life was traveling on the weekends to play sports, to play hockey um, and to hang up the skates. It, you know, it destroyed me. It really did. Um, I, I didn't know where to turn. I was, I was lost. Um, I missed that fraternal type of bonding that was the brotherhood of hockey and um, ended up joining for a fraternity. Um, and so after that, you know, for my freshman year of college at OU, I, I was already, you know, selling drugs at that point from high school, um, selling weed and things of that nature. Once I joined this fraternity, it kind of, it skyrocketed my sales. Um, I just was able to get into all different types of industry, uh, you know, from everything from, you know, MDMA, ecstasy, cocaine to, to weed, um, anything you can think of besides heroin and meth and, and, right. and um, the party drugs, right? The scene that was Athens was, was anything that was party related, that was yeah. psychedelic related, things of that nature. Sure. Um, and so skyrocketed, my, my sales just went up. I, I ended up, by, by the time I was a junior in college, I was losing money going to class every day because I was just making so much. I, I actually don't have any um, student loans. Um, so I was, wow. I was, yeah, I was producing a lot. Unfortunately, fortunately, during the time I was a freshman, the guy that was running campus ended up getting locked up, incarcerated. Um, and so that's why my, my sales skyrocketed, right? So I stopped going to class most of the time. I was a C student at that point, uh, I, which was unusual for me because I was high school, 3.4 straight A for yeah. the most part. Um, uh, you know, first two semesters of college were Bs and As. And um, besides calculus, I hated calculus, but it was horrible. So just kind of progressing and, and wanting to be an entrepreneur and wanting to do my own thing, my own business, but but doing it in a illegal market and really wanting the attractive, you know, the, the fast money, the buying, whatever I wanted, the um, always having a sense of security because financially I didn't need anything and, and right. really want anything. Um, and so I just kind of dove deeper and deeper into that um, as I, as I lost myself in the party scene. Um, so fast forward to 2016 on my 21st birthday, um, I was driving back and forth from Athens to Cincinnati twice a week at that point to pick up um, large amounts of cocaine. Um, and I got pulled over on my 21st birthday. We were actually the next day was our spring break. So me and all my fraternity buddies, were going to take all this cocaine down to Florida and we're going to party and do all this stuff. And I got pulled over with an ounce of cocaine in my car. 
And so it took him about three hours to finally, you know, I told him I had a lawyer. I wasn't going to say anything. Um, they, they released me because they had to test the coke. And, and nine months later, I ended up getting indicted. Right. So right before, I'll never forget it. My mom calls me. She goes, what is this? What is this letter that from the sheriff's that I have to sign for from Jackson County? Like, what, who is that? Where's Jackson County? And uh, it was right before my accounting exam. I was I was already struggling in that class, and at that point, I, I lost hope. I, I literally lost hope. I knew, I knew I wasn't healthy. I knew I wasn't mentally well. I, I was partying and coping with with drugs, and um, I was working out and eating right, but I just wasn't. I, I wasn't mentally there you know, yeah. chemically imbalanced from all the drug use and partying and, um, you know, just not just let myself go to waste. And um, I remember just dropping my cell phone immediately and just crying because I, I knew I knew that that was kind of the area that I got caught in um, and that, uh, you know, that type of weight carried two to eight years in prison before, you know, from February 25th, which is which is my birthday. So this Saturday. Um, Happy birthday. Thank you. Perfect thank timing. You. So I'll be 28. So this is, yeah, it's ah, interesting. I love uh, it. So 21st birthday, literally a se almost seven years ago, exactly. I got pulled over with that ounce. Nothing came of it for nine months. And so I was still selling drugs. I was still like, oh, I, you know, I'm invincible. This, you know, God must have, must have dissipated this for some reason. And I wasn't going to get charged or whatever. I fully believe that I, I was off the hook. Um, and so that indictment came. Um, and at that point, um, I was still partying and kind of not knowing what to do. And after the my first arraignment, I posted bond. It was like five thousand dollars for bond. So my parents put that money up. Um, I was still going to school. I was I had a job, um, so I was working and still going to school and selling drugs. And February fifth is my dad's birthday. So that weekend following, so twenty seventeen, we were in Columbus. That weekend, we went to a, a Blue Jackets game. We come home, my girlfriend at the time and I, um, we end up coming back to Athens that Sunday, um, going out for some for some reason, we didn't have school or something on Monday. So sure. we ended up going out about 10 o'clock. I come home and all of a sudden I'm, you know, getting ready for bed. And it, I think it was Sunday. It was the, it was the 7th. So February 7th, I get, uh, I get my door knocked on um, and here's roughly six or seven police officers with a warrant for my arrest. And so what had happened is a week prior to all that, a couple months after my uh, my indictment came in, I was still selling drugs. So I was selling uh, to a couple of my friends from, from high school and, and freshman year of college that I'd known for four or five years. I sold them ecstasy in a bar. Um, and, uh, you know, the bartender ends up calling the police on me. So I end up, you know, they get this story right Funny enough, I, I also sold the bartender drugs. I had tipped him a hundred dollars that night. Um, yeah, so I, I had known all. Wow, these, all the tables turn. Yeah, it's um. Shut so up. Come to find out, he was highly interested in one of these females that I was with. Didn't like that I was partying with them, um, and so you know, I, I I don't blame you know I don't blame him. I don't blame these girls, but uh, sure. you know they they got questioned by the police and they told him. Hey, you know, he's just our friend. He's, we actually call him drug dealer, Robbie. And so I have that in my, my discovery packet of evidence. <laughs> these girls, you know, they scared these girls to death and told them that they were going to get kicked out of school and all this stuff. And I, I they just told the truth and I, I can't blame them for that. Right. So yeah, of that would have been the Wednesday prior to that weekend. Yeah. Um, so about six, five, six days prior to me getting arrested, this incident had occurred. Mm -hmm. 
come February 7th, 10 p.m., I'm booked into um, Athens Southeastern, uh, Southeastern Regional Jail. Didn't know what was going on. Nobody would tell me anything. Um, and so about a week after that, uh, I was taken for my arraignment. And uh, they sat me in front of a judge on a video call, kind of like this. And That's crazy. He goes, um, you know, your charges are corruption of individuals with drugs, two counts of F2. Um, and you also have a count of possession of cocaine out of Jackson County, uh, which is also an F2. And an F2 carries two to eight years um, in prison. And so he goes, your bond is set at $250,000. Um, do you have anything to say? And me thinking, you know, maybe it'll help my case if I tell him that I'm a, a current student, I'm working. Um, I say, look, Your Honor, I think that's a, a little above what, you know, I understand I've, I've done something wrong, um, but I am a student. I still I still go to class. I am working. I'm trying to better myself. And I do. I, at that point, I I lived within 100 feet from the courthouse. <laughs> so oh I was I was legitimately like they could have knocked them. They could have thrown a rock at my door and hit it from from the police station. And so yeah. I, I say these things and he goes, you know what? I think you're right. Your bond's now half a million dollars. And so Whoa. Yeah, I, I swallow my pride and I go, OK. 10% is $50,000. And at that point, my parents were, you know, I didn't, I didn't learn my, my mistake the first time. Yeah. Um, they didn't have $50,000 and they weren't willing to put their house on the line to get me out of, out of jail. So sure. um, unfortunately I, I fought my case. Um, the, the one in Athens County, the corruption of individuals with drugs and um, the one in Jackson County, the possession of cocaine for nine months in County jail. And so yeah, so from February 7th to about October, I want to say it was the 13th, I was given a couple different offers. My first one being 11 to 15 years plus eight in Jackson County, so roughly 19 to 23 years, um, which is quite honestly a life sentence yeah. um, for, for a mistake. And yeah. I told him no, that, you know, this isn't what what happened. You know, you've got it wrong. Like, I'm, I'm actually a good guy. Like, um, you know, I'm not going to take 11 to 15 plus eight. It just, I can't, I can't do that. Um, and so I told him no, uh, about two months later, they come back with an offer of five to eight years. Um, and I told him no, again, I said, this is, you know, um, I understand I did wrong, but if you give me one more chance, I promise that I, I will make this worth it. I, I, I understand that I did wrong. Um, I, I just can't afford, you know, my parents at the time were, my dad just turned 71. So, you know, yeah. that was years ago. He's probably mid sixties. I, I didn't want to waste that time and and who knows what happens, right? right. Um, and so I told him no again. So um, October rolls around. Um, I get taken into the prosecutor's office. They asked me to, they asked me to um, tell on people um, and get me out of jail. Uh, I told him no, I couldn't do that one for uh, just reasons of respect that nobody else made those decisions but me. And I I am the sure. one that has to serve the time for that. On top of that, I, I can't risk endangering myself or my family. They they knew where I lived. They knew my friends. You know, that's a very dangerous situation. Sure. Um, so I told them no. Um, I was then presented with an offer of, of, of a plea deal of three years. Um, and I signed it. I said, gas the bus up. At that point, I had served what... Uh, nine months, seven months in jail, yeah. February to October, so nine months in jail. Um, at that, you know, 36 months, that's only 27 months incarcerated. If I can just get to prison and get this rolling, you know, who knows what ha God has in store for me, right? Right. And so after signing that plea deal, 
couple of days later, I get, you know, my name called, Hey, pack it up. You're, you're going to prison. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the phone call I made that, that day calling my mom saying, Hey, you know, I won't be able to talk to you for a couple of days until I get settled in at this other institution and just like nonstop tears and, and hearing, you know, telling my friends that I was serving three years and nobody really understanding why or believing it because, right. um, you know, they've, I've, I've always been a kind person. I've always wanted to yes. help people. Right. Um, and so it, it was just hard for everybody to, to come to, to terms with that. I was, you know, Robbie Neal was going to prison for three years, end up getting to, to Columbus, the, the distribution center up here, CRC it was there for about, maybe two and a half weeks before they categorized me um, and shipped me off to Noble. Um, and that was even more difficult because at that point, uh, Noble was three and a half hours away from my parents. Um, so I did get video calls. Um, I did, okay. uh, you know, I got in-person visits, um, but that was only once a month. It was tough. Um, it was tough. I had my video visits shut off a couple of times. Um, the first time I saw my sister and her kids, I'll never forget that. Uh, little Lena, she didn't know who I was. You know, I held her as as a kid, changed her diapers and, and she, you know, she doesn't know who I am. And then to get it shut off because there is people in there with charges against children and children weren't allowed in the videos. Right. Um, and so I got to see them for five minutes after two years on Thanksgiving I got to see him for five minutes and they shut my video off. Um, and so it was hard. It was um, about what, 23 months incarcerated. I lived with 250 men. Um, wow. I shared 10 toilets, 10 showers. Some of those guys were doing life sentences. Um, some of those guys, you know, they just don't care about their hygiene. They don't care that they're not getting out. They There's violence in there. There's a lot of things that, you know, the whole reason behind the company that I've started right now is, is because of the things that I saw in there. Yeah. And so, um, July of 20, June of 2019. So June 26th of 2019, I was transferred from prison to the halfway house. And then October 17th at midnight in 2019, I walked out of the halfway house, which was, um, still a lockdown facility. I was able to work a little bit here and there weekend passes had ankle monitor on for about two weeks, but I was finally free to walk out of there wow. um, and, and start my life again. So how did that feel? scary, difficult, uh, getting the bus ride, the feeling of, of walking out of prison, knowing I'm going to a halfway house, um, was the first time in th like roughly three years that I actually had a car ride and I was able wow. to see outside of that fence that I saw every single day. I, uh, that was the first time I had my, a, a real meal, like an, an actual apple that wasn't rotten, um, apple juice, um, a, a real sandwich with, with bologna that wasn't like slimy and green. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, I mean a bag of chips and, and and a thing, a packet of Oreos, and I just remember sitting in the in the vehicle. These people came pick me up, and I remember sitting in the vehicle, just stunned, looking out the window. Like, uh, you know, I've done in my day, I've done a lot of drugs. I've never felt a feeling of relief, of of hope, of just being touched by it. just just full faithfulness, full relief and total ecstasy over your body of just knowing that it's finally almost over you right. know going home I, I ended up getting um, I had to write a letter to the the um, state senator to get me transferred from the Athens halfway house to Cincinnati mm -hmm. um, thankfully he was able to do that so I got transferred to Cincinnati 
which I was able to see my parents every weekend, see them in wow. person, they were able to order me pizza and, and everything like that. But the feeling of walking out of the halfway house was, was similar, not as great just because of everything that I had gone through and that the three months that I was at the halfway house, I, I knew that I was coming to an end, Right. but it was still like, I knew that I can do, I can do good things now. I can help other people. There's, there's more to life than just what I was doing and, and being behind bars. And yeah, it was, it, it was, wow. it was good. And so um, thank God I had family support. You know, I had your support and I didn't know. It did. me. Um, I will never, ever, ever forget. I'm sitting in church with my, with my dad. One of the first times I've been to church um, in, in years, right? Well, in years. hold on. We got, we got to give a rewind. Okay. Y'all okay. don't know. Okay. So when we worked together at Skyline and, and Robbie was a teenager, he was into some stuff and we yes. would talk about it. And <laughs> me being, you know. Oh, she was the, my mom. Oh, I was like the mom. I was the Skyline mom. And I was yes. obviously really pregnant. So I felt very protective yes. with the little boy. So I'm like, these boys, oh, yeah. like, I'm no. And so I would always like talk to Robbie and I'm like, hey, you know, you, you are meant for so much more. And I always told him, like, there was yep. something about him that I always, I always told Robbie, I said, there's something about you that's different. You are a good guy. Like you are yeah. really good and you can do so many things. Like what you were doing, you were in sales. It was, you were <laughs> in sales. And I was like, you know what? You're actually have an act for this. Like you actually can do this, but you can do it the right way. Like you're really good at this. You yeah. have a lot of gifts. And I just saw the favor of God on your life. And yeah. I called it out constantly. Cause I was like, there's something different about you. And I just see God's favor all over your future. And I didn't know what it meant, but I always like, it's like the Lord highlighted you to me every single time I went into work. And I was like, I'm not giving up on this kid. I'm yeah. not. And you did it. And you know what? I thank you so much because literally those talks, like I, I, I was always like, you know, oh, she's yeah, just, whatever. just been just my mom, like at work, like, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, looking back, I, I really did cherish those conversations. Cause you, you were like you and Cass and, and Cass was yeah. like skyline yeah. mom too. And uh, you guys actually cared. Like you actually wanted good for people and just wanted everybody to just be the best version of them. And like, I, I wish I could go back and, and have those conversations again because yeah. they, they were great. Yes. Okay. So I'm sitting in church. First time, this was probably ooh, about a week or two, maybe after my, my release. Yeah. Because um, it, it was getting around Christmas time. And I, I yeah. see you up there. I think it was, I saw you up there singing. Yeah, I was worshiping. Yeah. I was leading worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, I know this lady. Like, I, like, I, like I was sitting in the middle row. It's kind of dark. And yeah. you really, like the light was on your face. And I'm like, I swear, like, I know, I, why, like, I know this lady. I worked with her. Like, like I, I love this lady. Like, I, I, <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, it's Sarah. And I, I couldn't remember your last name to, yeah. to say yeah. And I'm like, it, but it was crazy. The first name I typed in, like the first Sarah that popped up out of the 1800 friends that I have on Facebook for some odd reason, right? You were the first one. I'm like, this is her. And I clicked on it. And at that time it, it like immediately brought up my messages mm -hmm. and you had messaged me like, right. I don't know if it was right when I got it. It was right up. when, and right you when you like, went in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I just like, I get the chills right now. Like I was washed with like oh my god and I'm reading this like I'm gonna cry right now I was reading this message and like started tearing up and I look at my dad and I'm like like look read this like right now like read this like I like and he's like wait is that the is that her like I'm like yes dad like I worked with this lady and she is the most beautiful person I know and like yeah I, I swear like, I'm tearing up that like that was like 
it was like God had sent you and I knew you were praying for me and I didn't know it at the time, but like after reading that message, like I knew that you were somehow you had sent God, Liz, whoever it was to help guide me through that situation. And I thank you. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You made me cry. Um, No, but what's crazy is it. So to give you guys a little insight, I sent him a message on Facebook. And the reason I did that, I hadn't seen him for, you know, like a year or so, you know, a year or two at the time he was in college and, you know, and I knew him through Liz. And when Liz passed, I'd actually seen him after he'd went to college. And it was at that same church at Crossroads where I, where he had seen me lead worship before he went to, to jail. And, um, I ran into him in the hallway and I was like, is this what it's going to take to get you to church? Because when I, uh, yes, because when I was, I led worship at Crossroads for a long time. And when he was a teenager, I was like, you got to come to church. I said, if nothing else, come see me sing. Come on, come see me sing. Cause we talked about music a lot. Cause he loves music and he would all the time be like, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then I'd call him on the back. (laughs) I go out the back door of church and I'm like, you come in? And you're like, oh, not today. Yeah. I'm like, you better yeah. come. You better come. I was on him all the time, but he never came. And so saw him at, you know, her, her service, didn't see him again. And then when this is so weird, I had no idea what happened. I had no clue what happened. It yeah. was the Holy Spirit. I was sitting on my couch in my old house in Mason with my daughter, just watching her play and my son at the time, cause I'd had him already. And I heard a siren go by my house. Like just, it was a ton of, it was like a ton of sirens. And I'm like, huh, as a mom, I'm like, I want to figure out what's going on in my neighborhood. Like just see what's, you know, if they were posting anything like, cause that was just a lot of sirens. I was like, yeah. that's weird. And it almost felt like the siren of God. Like it wasn't even about what was going on. I Google, you were the first article to pop up. I saw your face and I go, oh my God. And immediately I start praying over you immediately. And I just felt in my spirit, this like motherly, like, and, and this like love of God for you. Like I just cared so much. And I, so I immediately pulled out my phone and I sent you a message and I was like, I don't care what this says. I know yeah. who you are. God knows who you are. This is not who you are. And he has more for you. And I'm going to be praying for you every single day. And I did. Yeah. And there were so many times too, when you were in jail, actually, that I, I knew Crossroads had a jail ministry and I, told my husband, I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, Sam. And I never made it there, but this just, it just made it so wild that that happened in church. When I was leading worship, you saw me and then you messaged me when I backstage and was like, is that you? And I'm like, yeah. And then you just saw my message and it's just, it was crazy. And you know, it's funny uh, that this whole experience, like my dad leads the prison. He's the director of operations for the four seven now. Shut up. Yep. So he, he goes into all the prisons. Yeah, he goes Amazing. into all the prisons now and, and does all the prison ministries. And, God. Um he's yeah, he's super heavily involved. Um, I think he's actually trying to build a uh, or at least get a home and renovate it for five individuals. Wow. Um, the goal is to to house a there's no female um post-release program in Cincinnati. Yeah. And so he's trying to build a, uh, he's trying to work with the city and get um, a wow. place to do that so that the women from Cincinnati don't have to go to Columbus. Don't have, they can Amazing. have the support back. Yeah. This whole experience has been just, you know, the, the, I tell everybody when they ask me if I, if I regret any of it, yeah, I tell them no, because, you know, I, I learned a lot while I was doing what I was doing. I learned even more while I was in prison and I, I, I learned 
I, I regained my faith in God and in and, and the world when I was in there because, you know, at first it was, it was tough. It was like, why am I in here? Why me? Why selfish, just upset feelings like, God, why did you have, like, why? And, and blaming him and then realizing slowly over time that these people in prison need my help. They don't know how to read. They don't know how to write letters to the family. They don't have money coming in. Like um, Chad, I'll never forget Chad. He he literally hadn't talked to his family in eight years. He was in prison because he didn't have money on the books. His his parents didn't have money to, to put money on his books so that he could call out. And Christmas, I'm like, hey man, Chad, who are you talking to? Like, and and nobody. I said, you know what? Use my phone number. I deleted one of the numbers. You can only have like 14 numbers, 15 numbers on a phone. Deleted my friend's number and said, look, you're, you're calling your family, man. You need to talk to your family because he was supposed to get out in six months. And it, it was just like, I don't regret anything because now I can do this. Now I started my own company. I was able to teach in there. I was able to, to, to coach and counsel uh, um, all this stuff and like um, almost bridge the gap between, to, between races as well. I know a lot of there's a lot of white supremacists in there. There's a lot of um, black gangs in there. There's a lot of Hispanic gangs in there. And, and I was able yeah. to be a, a non-biased, just friend to everybody. And I got a lot of questions and I got a lot of hate for it. But I was also like able to change a lot of people's minds on why, like, like you don't have to hate people because of the color of your skin or because right. of of who they are, like, like just get to know them, have a conversation. And I was able to break down a little bit of barriers there. And now I get to tell my story to everybody and all your viewers and, um, you know, the, the families of incarcerated loved ones that at Crossroads, I've done uh, little speeches for them in high schools and whatever I can do to pass on just my, you know, knowledge or questions anybody has, or um, just guiding and mentorship to young kids. And that's what this company is all about. I love that. I love that you started, that you took what you were given and you, you, you came out and you, you put it into something constructive and Robbie's business is called the workhouse. It's, it's building people up from the inside out. It's awesome. It's like, he's training and mentoring other men and women and people and how to better themselves every day because he's bettering himself every day. So that is yeah. awesome. And also he mentioned the four seven, that is an awesome ministry. If you want to get involved you can look that up. The four seven, they do ministry to um, prisons here locally in Cincinnati. They help them with getting them resources and teaching and educating and helping them get connected afterwards and helping the families of those who are incarcerated. And um, it's just a really great ministry. So I highly suggest if that's something that's placed on your heart that you go check it that out. Robbie, that is, that's insane. Your story is so crazy. Yeah. I love hearing it because I never got to hear it in such detail. So I'm really, really, really thankful that you shared that. Thank you. Um, but I want to dig into it a little bit. So you yeah. said, you know, of course, before you got your sentence, you're feeling pretty hopeless. You're like, crap, I know that this is coming, period. I know this is yeah. coming. So you get in there. You're finally in there. You're in there for three years, essentially. At what point did it flip from hopelessness to hope? Honestly, I, I just got the chills because like there's no like real day. I, yeah. I remember the first couple of weeks was like anger, upset. I, I, I like just full on belief that I was going to get out of this, that it, this isn't me, but whatever. God was going to see me through. And then when I realized that that's not the case, my bond is a half a million. My first offer is a life sentence. Like that's not the case. Um I would say that it took about three months, four months for me to realize that one, there's, it's not hope, hopelessness. 
Two, I can't be angry or upset. Um, and, and three, that God has me. It was at that point where I got my my first Bible. I actually went to um, this ministry service that in jail that was like I don't know. There's like four people out of 150 guys that that wow. went that had enough, you know, pride or whatever it was because everybody was, you know, it's prison, it's jail. Yeah. But everybody's like, there's no hope here. It, it was literally the hardest thing to find was hope. Mm. And once I found it, it was my biggest motivator. And yeah, it, once I got that Bible and started reading and, and just putting all faith, because at that point, I, I have nothing else to put it in. I have nothing else to, to. Uh, there's no other outlets, like God has me and I know God has me. And it's like, you you fully have to believe that. So probably about three months in, four months in, um, where I, I went from anger, scared, upset to let's do this. Let's do this. God's got a plan for me. I'm in here for a reason. What's the, what's the purpose? God tell me. That's awesome. And so it was a, I feel like it was a series of after that, you just saying yes over and over to whatever God put in front of you. Like, okay, you put it in front of me. The answer is yes. I had multiple guys come up. Hey, you know, you're a student, right? Like you're smart. Like I or relatively smart, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Can you help me write this letter to my family? And these guys were, you know, didn't know the difference between of and off. Wow. Or, or they were misspelling great. They were misspelling theirs. It was like yeah. just your basic, and these guys are 40, 50 years old. Sure. And, and it's like, I wow. I, I understand your life has been difficult and it's been hard to get here. Let me show you what you can do still. Awesome. And, and I was able to, to coach, mentor, talk to people, get guys off the ledge, able to connect people with their families. And it's just been a blessing. Man, that looks like, you know what, what strikes me about your story is you've always been the same person and you've always had the same gifts. God literally created you you. so specifically and with such specific gifts that you're using the same gifts that you used before, but now you're using them for the Lord and you're using them to build up instead of tear down. And I'm telling you like, the fruit from that, the sky's the limit. Yeah, there is no limit. And and really, I'm just excited. We just started this company in September and I'm really excited. We're going to the Arnold Classic next week to, to hopefully drum up some business and, and get some sponsorships so that we can really make an impact. And um, it, it's funny, you know, a lot of people tell me that you're the same guy. You just had to uh, adjust it to a positive manner. And uh, I never believed that I was a bad guy and I I always thought I was doing the right thing until I, you know, everything I went through. And now, now it's like doors are open, floodgates are going, let's, let's help, let's help people. Awesome. And that's, you know, that's what it is. is, And I think everybody can relate to this. We all make mistakes. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all do things that to us, we think we're doing the right thing because we're, we're made of flesh. We're just like, this is what we are used to. And so until something shifts and we, as we're establishing goodness, we were made in the image of God. Like no one is made bad. Nobody, like everybody is, I believe good. And then we have this sin thing that we're born into and it's like chains and we're chained to it. And until we get free, you can't free yourself. You have to be freed from it. And that's one of the things that I think you experience is when you're in the midst of the, the prison and you get this Bible and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm hopeless right now. And then you get this other thing. You're like, wait a second, I can anchor my hope in something that isn't me. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is we, we bet on ourselves and we can bet on ourselves and bet on ourselves. And I'm not saying not to do that. Betting on yourself is great, 
but you got to bet on yourself knowing that there's an anchor that's holding you down because if not, either your balloon's going to fly away or you're going to get crushed. One of the two. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, I always was a big advocate of, I've got my own back. I don't need anybody but me. I don't need any, I, I'm a tough guy. I, I'm sure you, at Skyline. Oh, I, I remember. I remember how tough, tough you thought you were too. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought I was the biggest and the baddest until uh-huh. I realized that God, that's God. And God is the, the, he, you need to have that anchor. And once I finally had that anchor, I had a pillar to stand on. I had my first stepping stone to, to lead me out of the water. And I was able to do that um, through God and, and just reading the Bible and having faith, purely having faith. That's awesome. What have those conversations looked like with God since you've been out of prison and kind of starting this business, like your vision, what is, what's God giving you vision wise? Man, uh, vision wise, it's, I, I, I want to be as big as Jim Shark and raw gear. And I want to be able to build a facility that's 10,000, 20,000 square foot where I can bus people in. There's a big enough parking lot. There's a, enough to reach all the school systems in need in, in Columbus, which is every school system here. And there's so many schools um, and just being able to touch enough people in each place that I can change at least one life. I want to be able to build a facility that is self-sustaining so that we don't have to charge parents or schools or anything to do this. That's why it's not a nonprofit. It's a for-profit because I want to, to make enough money where I can provide this service for absolutely no cost to anybody because those are the people that need it the most. And so the, the vision is just kind of Barnuminium style, just a massive warehouse full of full yeah. of life full of God, full of life, and just full of education and trying to get these kids healthy habits, sports-specific training, whatever we can do to keep these kids out of the streets, keep them from gang activity, stealing, all the stuff that, you know, that I saw when I was in the streets and that um, try to prevent them from going to prison. That's awesome. So I got to ask you, I usually ask this at the beginning, but I wanted to wait till the end because I wanted people to hear your story first. And I think it's going to be even more powerful now. What is your definition of hope, Robbie? If you didn't look at Webster... What's your definition? You you sent me this question. Yeah. I have it written down because I was like, this is kind of what I I feel that that it is. It's awesome. Hope is the feeling of knowing that no matter what the situation is, no matter where you've gotten yourself into, no matter the depths of, of your trouble, that things will work out, that God or or whoever you believe in. God is there to, to, to guide you. You just have to have hope and faith and, and hope is just the knowing the all feeling of knowing that no matter what happens, God's got you and, and you got yourself and, and there is hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. I know that's I love kind of, that. I no, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love the light at the end of the tunnel. I love knowing that anchor thing is such a big thing, knowing that it's anchored it's so, and you're, you good. You got a rock. So you fall to the bottom of the pit. The rock at the bottom is, is God. Yeah. That's so good. So tell me, of course, the other question we ask everybody is if you had to pick one person to steal a little bit of their hope, who's your hope hero? My, my mom, it has to be my mom. She's, you know, my dad was there and my little brother was there every meeting, every, every video visit, every in-person visit, but my mom fully, I mean, just through and through knew that no matter what I was going through, that, that God had me, that she just was, you're going to get through this. Every time I picked up that phone, every time I left a, a visit with them, it was, you got this. God's got this. You both have this, that type of feeling, like keep pushing, keep focusing on helping people, keep focusing on the positives. Only a couple more days left. 
my mom it just has to be my mom I love it that's beautiful I love I love that kind of faith especially from a mother oh. and and tell me a little bit too like did your parents I mean it sounds like they never shamed you for no. your mistakes they no. always just loved you through it so kind of yeah. tell me about that relationship Growing up with with older parents is is a little bit difficult. My my siblings are older, um, forty five or forty three and forty four, um, and you know so I'm I'm a younger generation, right? And so growing yeah. up, I didn't know a lot about my family background. I didn't know, um, you know, what my dad's been through, any stories like that. And um, when I started selling drugs, they weren't really, uh, they didn't know, you know. And then yeah. obviously when I get arrested, they're kind of shocked, and and, and um, I'm sure they they saw me kind of declining in health and knew something was up, but um, they never, never were like, you're not part of our family. You're, you, you, this isn't a Neil trait. This isn't whatever. It was always like, okay, now what, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What, what has God got in store for us? What, what can we do to help you get through this to, to whatever? Um, and so the relationship was always constructive. It was always, you know, um, especially when I was having the, the worst time with hope and, and faith and everything, it was just always stop, stop, stop thinking like that. God's got you. We got you. You will make it through this. It is okay. And it was just pushing me and just always supportive, always loving. They sent me boxes. They sent me cards. Um, they, you know, every time that I, I called, they would make sure that they, if they were going to go meet some of my friends, um, parents or whatever, uh, that, that I would call them so I could call, talk to them on the phone. And um, it was just always, you know, support. Just yeah. you did this, but you still have a life. Yeah. God still has you. You still have a full life. You're not, you're not dead. And and that was, okay, you're at rock bottom. This, this is rock bottom. Wake up, ask for forgiveness. Let's talk to God and let's get a move on. And it was always just more, support than than any shame or any just regret they you know it was a little difficult with my dad having the same name as me so yeah. he's a real estate agent um and so it was difficult you know when they when i got arrested the next morning the news was at my parents house with no evidence nothing and so you know it kind of hurt my dad's business there were three news stations knocked on my parents door at six o'clock six thirty in the morning um february 8th and i had been arrested literally eight eight hours before that Wow, uh, and so it was, it was difficult for my family and for them to no matter what they faced on the streets or on the outside, um, because I know how difficult, like, I can't imagine how difficult it was, but no matter what they went through, the ridicule, the, the, you know, they followed my mom to work. She works at the high school. Wow. Like they, they, they followed her to work and, and no, no matter what they went through over the years, the people that, that knew that I was in prison, that they came into interaction with that. They didn't know if they were going to get a good interaction or a positive, whatever, no matter what they've been through, they always, always had my back, always had hope for me, always supported me and always led me to God. Wow. They sound like professional grace givers, you know, oh. to me, that sounds like the heart of Jesus so much. Like that's who Jesus is. And I think so many of us always think that, you know, God is this, you know, big angry person with a magnifying glass, just trying to like look at all of our, the bad stuff and be like, that's awful. And that's awful. And that's awful. And you're not worthy and blah, blah, blah. And he's so much more grace giving and merciful than we could ever be towards even anyone that we see face to face yeah. because we, our capacity for grace is so much less than his. 
And yet it seems like your parents, to me, in order to give that kind of grace over and over and over and without any hesitation at all, to me, sounds like they have a really, really good grasp on the grace they've been given. And so they're able to push that out and it's cyclical. It's like grace comes in, grace goes out, grace comes in, grace goes out. So I love that. I admire that so much. It sounds like they're really, really cool people. They're great people. I love my parents. And you know, my, one thing my mom always tells me is God doesn't put you through anything that you can't handle and that you can't come through the other side on. And you know, he, she, she has this saying, it's like, God gives his toughest challenges to his toughest warriors. And, you know, I've always thought that I was a warrior and, you know, I never thought I would have the challenge of going through prison, but I, I made it. And now it's time to change some lives with that. So yeah, there, I, I, will forever be grateful and thankful for those two people. It's just, I, I couldn't be here where I am today without them. I love it. And I also love the saying that uh, the enemy doesn't go to empty houses. He doesn't knock on the door of empty houses. Ooh, I like there's that. something, there's some, oh, I love that one. He doesn't knock on the door of empty houses. He's a oh. thief. He comes to steal, kill and destroy. And he's not going to go somewhere where there's not something expensive mm-hmm. and important. And so I have this feeling and I've always had the same feeling, but there's something on the inside of you that is, so powerful thank you through the holy spirit that god's placed something so important inside of you that the enemy just wants to steal kill and destroy it because it messes up his plans the lord if you partner up with the holy spirit it's unstoppable done and i'm hoping that that this is the vehicle that he's allowed me to do that and and just be able to 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 give grace back and, and give hope back that's a lot of the, the the trouble that we see in the city is because there is no hope. A lot of people just don't have that hope. And to give that back is something that's, you can't put a price on it. That's right. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Robbie. I mean, Thank truly. For having me. Anytime, man, you're welcome. I love this. I love that I got to see you. I love that we got to catch up and kind of put yeah. all the puzzle pieces of the story together because I feel like uh, there's been like a through line of this whole time since I've known the past, you know, 15 years of, of God just weaving this thread of faith and hope and connecting through the Holy spirit and saying, Hey, this dude, you need to pray for him. He needs some warriors. He needs some warriors on the other side because he's going to come out and he's going to have some power inside of him. And he needs some launch pad to go into what I have for him. So, well, hopefully that's this. And you know, I, I, I can't thank you enough for having my back and always always talking good about me and, and showing my true character when I couldn't speak for myself and praying for me and just having faith in me is, I, I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you for everything, Sarah. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you know, I want to encourage anybody listening to, if you've made mistakes in your life, nothing is too great for God. He, he expects you to make mistakes. And that's the importance of the cross. The cross isn't just for what you've done. It's he paid it forward for everything you would ever do because he knows that we can't, we're not going to hold up to the standard of holiness that he is, because then we'd be God. We, we're not going to be God. So I just want to encourage you that you are not your mistakes, that your identity is in Christ. You are a child of God. And that's the most important and the only important identifier about you. Everything else is excess. And so, and perks and fun and gifts and special things about you. So don't identify yourself as anything else. You're a child of the living God. That's enough. That's powerful. And that means that you walk in power that the enemy wants to steal from. So I just want to encourage all of you to step into that power to just align yourself with the Holy Spirit and know that you're unstoppable and God's got you. He's the rock at the bottom of the pit and he's going to push you up if you just lean on him. So Robbie, thank you so much for coming. I just, I'm I'm so blessed by your life. I'm so blessed by your Guys, God is so intimate and intentional 
When we mess up, he doesn't stare at our mess like an angry parent telling us to clean it up. He gets on the floor with us. So if no one's told you yet recently, God's not mad at you. He loves you and he wants to see you win because he already paid the cost for your victory. You can follow Robbie on Instagram at The Workhouse Company to support the mission as he continues to build a foundation that will become the launching pad for so many. Thanks for listening. Until next time, don't lose hope.